that has a movie, I don't know what will. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you, Brooklyn. It's very good. I am aware that I talk fast. It is, it is no secret. I am aware. It's something I will try to work on, uh, and I will try. Whoa, that just blew my page. All right. Something else to be aware of. Why didn't you tell me about that, Brother Gary? Uh, so I'm aware I talk fast, and I will try to slow down. That's something I am going to work on. Uh, but I appreciate your patience with that. I also uh, appreciate your patience in uh, trying to learn all your names. Uh, for Lauren, a lot of this is familiar, and there are many uh, people that she knows, but uh, for me, it is obviously new, each and every one of you, so I, I appreciate you. Uh, I also want to say thank you publicly to, to Pastor, really, for the opportunity uh, to come and work uh, here at Bible Baptist Church, and then as well for the opportunity to preach tonight. Uh, and then many of you have given cards, uh, given gift cards and, and, and money just in general and uh, helped us move and helped us unload and do all this safe stuff. And we're just so grateful uh, and thankful we wouldn't be able to do it without you. And so I uh, just want to publicly thank you because you are to be honored for that. And, and again, we can't, can't thank you enough. So thank you. Um, if you would, I ask you to turn in your Bibles tonight to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Uh, you know, working in the church is uh, a little bit different, but there's some things that uh, I really like. One of the things I like is being able to just sing out whenever I want to. Uh, nobody's there to hear it except for Pastor and, and, and maybe Brother Gary. Uh, and if they want to critique me, well, I can turn right around and critique them because guess what? They sing too. Uh, so being in the church is awesome in that aspect. I can just sit there and sing. And music is a great comfort. Uh, music is something that uh, can mean a lot to each and every one of us. And I know music uh, for me has, has a, a big impact on my life and Music can take forms in our minds, uh, and, and it can take our focus off of the things that we're dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis and, uh, and, and help lift our spirit. Uh, but there are many types of music out there uh, in our world today. Not all of it is uplifting, um, but some of it is. You think about like calm or cool music. Uh, I think of biblically when King Saul invited David to come and play his heart for him, and it soothed his spirit because he was, he was angry and, and upset, so it soothed his spirit. There's calm or cool music. Uh, there's love songs. Think of Nat King Cole, uh, Unforgettable, uh, At Last by uh, Ella Fitzgerald. In fact, that's a song that Lauren and I, uh, it's At Last, right? <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, we got married on October 17th of 2015. All right, at least I got that right. Um, but on uh, one of the songs we played at our wedding, uh, that, that moves you in that way. <clears throat> Excuse me. I uh, think about exciting songs. If you're here and you've been to a Texas high school football game, you have heard the Seven Nation Army played over and over. Almost it seems like every single game you go to, you hear that song to, to try to pump up the, the teenagers and to play the best that they can and get rowdy and uh, do all those things. So music has different effects uh, on us at different times of life. And then you think about worship songs. You know, Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Uh, and can it be what we sing tonight? How great thou art. You know, as a Christian, the most comforting of songs would naturally be those that draw our mind and our hearts toward Christ and what he's done for us. And no matter the situation, looking to God is always a comfort. And so this evening, as I invite you to turn to Psalm 139, it's a psalm that for me uh, has been a tremendous blessing in my life. And, and almost at different stages of life, it's been a blessing. And so I hope that it can be for you here tonight as well. <clears throat> you know, uh, uh, talking about 
we were talking with Brother Kyle the other night. He said he's a big fan of dad jokes, and while this isn't necessarily a, a dad joke, uh, I'll, I'll get to a point with it later on in the, in the sermon, so if you'll bear with me here. It says uh, this, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one, but the light bulb has to want to change. I would ask that as we read this psalm tonight, uh, we would read it with a desire to change. Uh, If we come into the house of God week in and week out, and we never desire to better ourselves, we never desire to get a closer relationship with the Lord, then it just becomes mundane. Uh, It's just a routine that we go through, maybe a, a social checklist, if you will, coming to church. Yeah, I went to church this week. But if we never leave here changed, if we don't want to change, uh, the outcome is never going to be any different. So if you're able tonight, would you please stand with me uh, for the reading of God's Word, Psalm 139. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David. O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset me behind and before, and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret, and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, and in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. Verse 17. It says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee? And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me, and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me. And lead me in the way everlasting. You may be seated as we go to Lord in prayer tonight. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for this day that you've given us. God, I do thank you for another opportunity to be in your house. I thank you for the opportunity to preach and open your word. Lord, I ask that you would just give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And Lord, that you would be honored and glorified with the sermon tonight. And ask you to sing this in your heavenly name, I pray. Amen. So as we mentioned earlier, songs of worship are designed to point our heart toward Christ, to point our heart toward God, not to man. But if you notice in the entirety of the book of Psalm, not all of uh, the musicians write necessarily to God. Sometimes uh, they may be writing about things that God has done for them. And so while most worship songs should point towards Christ, and, and a lot of the Psalms do, there are some that, that speak 
uh, about man, but really about the accomplishments that man has done by the hand of God. And so, as we look tonight uh, at Psalm 139, it's important that we understand uh, that we read this as, as almost as if it's a prayer or a song that's directed from, from King David toward his Heavenly Father, toward God. And so I would ask that as we look through this, you would kind of uh, picture that or put yourself in that position of a prayer uh, towards God. And so if you would, if you're taking notes, uh, you could say it this way, verse 1 of the song. It's found in uh, verses 1 through 6, the omniscience of God, speaking to the omniscience of God. It says, O Lord, Thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. You know, we, can, we can try a lot in life to hide some things from God. Uh, maybe you can think of a time in your life or uh, an instance in, in, in a child where they've been caught doing something wrong and they try to sweep it literally under the rug sometimes. Uh, I won't tell too much on my kids tonight, but there are some times where they, maybe they try to hide something. In fact, I'll use Brother Kyle. Since he likes to pick on me, I'll pick on him for a second. Just last night, we were talking about something in the uh, fellowship hall, and there is a Rice Krispie somewhere in a container. I'm not going to tell you what container. There's a Rice Krispie treat in a container from like seven, I think you said seven years ago? Okay, back when Kate and Zachary, so it was a long time ago that uh, a certain couple of boys got caught eating it. And so like, hurry, dad's coming. And they shoved it in a jar and put it away. And it's still there to this uh, day. So we try to hide things sometimes, but ultimately all of that is going to be found out. And specifically here, as we find in verse one and verse two, that the Lord knows us better than anybody does. You know, we may think, and you may actually get away with it in this lifetime, that, hey, I got away with that, or I hid that, I was successful. But ultimately, God knows uh, what takes place, and knows you personally. You think of uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And God was asking a rhetorical question, you know, Adam, where art thou? The Lord knew exactly where Adam was, Adam and Eve were. But they were trying to hide themselves from the presence of God because of their sin. And so then in verse 2, uh, he says that thou knowest my downsitting and mine uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. And the best way that I can think about this is, uh, is literally your afar thoughts. Uh, have you ever been driving down the road and maybe you and your wife or uh, you and your husband are talking and you find yourself 10 minutes later thinking, how in the world did, did we get talking about this? And you try to trace back your steps. Well, yeah, we were talking about that and we were talking about that. And sometimes you don't even know how you got to where you were. It's like you're talking about your Walmart list and what all you needed, and the next thing you know, you're talking about the, uh, the aliens that landed in Aurora. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, how did I get from there to there? And uh, we sometimes don't even know our own heart and our own mind. But if we understand anything about our Lord, it's that He is omniscient and He does know all things about us. And I know that may be kind of a trivial uh, example there, but the Lord knows the intimate parts of us as well. Look at verse 3. He says, Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. And here it gets a little bit deeper in the layer, if you would, um, because the word compassest means to, to winnow. And so it's uh, in biblical times, to, to winnow would be like to take uh, a, like an avenue where they would place the, the, the wheat and the, the grain, and they would put it in there, and they would blow air through that, and it would separate the wheat from the chaff. And it would blow that away, and it's almost like to reveal or peel back the layers to see what's truly there. And I want you to understand tonight that the Lord knows those things that other people can't see that are peeled back behind the layers. God understands and God knows exactly what takes place in your heart, in your mind, whether it's outwardly visible or not. He takes out all that has no value and sees you for who you really are. And the qualities that you've taken on, 
the traits that you've picked up, the very steps that you take in life, the Lord knows and the Lord is involved in. As we see here in verse 4, he says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Uh, and I can't help but when I think of this verse, I think back to Romans chapter 8, verse 26, when the Bible says, Like the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know, what, we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Uh, I don't know each and every one of your testimonies and uh, your life and what you've gone through, but I can imagine that You've had a time in your life where you're in a low point, uh, a valley in life, if you would, and you, you go to the Lord in prayer and you really don't know what to say. Uh, I know personally, uh, back when I was a teenager, there were some things going on in our family that uh, really just, we didn't expect. It didn't expect it to ever happen to us, and uh, it did. And I remember walking down the stairs into our garage and out into the driveway and just looking up at the stars and not really knowing what to say, but knowing that the Lord was there. And again, just reminds me of this right here. He says, For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Isn't it great to know that our Heavenly Father doesn't even really have to hear us talk at times, but He just knows our hearts and knows our minds. It ought to be a comfort to us uh, as much as it also is uh, a warning. Verse 5, He says, Thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand uh, upon me. God is literally just on every side of us from, from past to present to future and his hands are guiding our life and leading us as he wants and he directs. And uh, when I think about this specifically too, I think of uh, walking through the store or just going somewhere and uh, leading the kids along. And I say leading the kids along because if you've had kids, you understand that there is no, uh, hey, we're just going to go to this aisle uh, and they're going to be right behind you the whole time. And they get distracted, they get uh, their mind taken off something and they'll go a different way. And so uh, I can w walk behind Zane and this is the picture that I get uh, when looking at this verse as if the Lord's almost just grabbing my head and turning me and saying no. Uh, and I'm walking behind Zane at times and he'll try to go another way or he's got a one-track mind and he sees something, he's just walking towards it. So I, I grab his head, just gently, grab his head, no, turn it <laughs> this way, Zane, this way. Uh, and so that's what, when you're looking at this, and he says, I've beset me behind and before and laid thine hand uh, upon me. And Seth, the Lord is just guiding our life, and not in an aggressive, it's not like we're his prisoner, like I'm holding you and I'm, bound, I'm binding you to this path, but rather as his captive. And I hope you understand the difference there, not necessarily being his prisoner, but being captive to the Lord. And it's a, a, a willful surrender to what he wants and directs in our life. And then in verse 6, he says, how precious also, or sorry, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Our minds literally can't fathom the omniscience of God, much less any of his other characteristics. You know, when you begin to think about God and His attributes and who He is, even this morning, thinking uh, about Isaiah chapter 6, and when we sing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. Okay, you think He's holy. He's, he's great. He's good. No, He's holy, holy. He's very pure. He's very righteous. And then holy, holy, holy. He's perfect in all ways. I can't, and our sinful bodies and our sinful minds, we can never truly grasp and understand that God is just perfect in all of his ways. And so when we look here and saying such knowledge, and other, in other words, thinking about how much the Lord intimately knows us personally, me, you, your parents, your grandparents. He's known each and every one of us intimately. I, I can't fathom. Uh, the psalmist David says, I, I just can't wrap my head around it, how much you know about me. Verse 2. If you look with me in, in verse 7, 
through 12, it speaks to the omnipresence of God. It says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? It's literally just a rhetorical question here. Um, With God, all things consist. So anywhere that we try to go uh, or try to hide, God knows about it and is ever present there. Again, thinking just back to Adam and Eve in the garden. God knows where they were, and it was a rhetorical question when he asked, where are you? And then verse 8, he says, If I ascend up to heaven, thou art there. If, my, if I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. Verse 9 and 10. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Even when I'm at my lowest state in my spiritual life, I can find God. Uh, even when you're at the lowest state in your spiritual life, you can find God. You know, at some point, uh, each and every one of us, if you're saved tonight... You were unsaved. Uh, There was a point in your life where you were separate from the presence of God because of our sinful nature. Um, But God, in His omniscience and His omnipresence, uh, saw you, understood, intimately desired to have a relationship with you. And the moment you called upon Him, it's not as if He wasn't there or He was far away, but rather He's waiting right by your side for you to turn toward Him. With verse 9 and 10, I think about all of the missionaries out in foreign countries. You know, with the, the uh, missions conference coming up, I think we have missionaries to, to Norway, Cambodia, and putting us all on the spot. Honduras, thank you. The Stevens family to Honduras. Uh, all different <laughs> foreign countries and faraway places. But the same God that we have the opportunity to come here in Bridgeport, Texas to worship and to honor and to show our respect is the same God that they worship in foreign countries as well. Again, there is not a place that God does not exist and there is not a person that God does not desire to have that relationship with. And not only is He with them, but He will lead them and provide for all their needs. Again, it's something we we truly can't wrap, wrap our minds uh, around at different times. Verses 11 through 12 says, If I say, Surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day. The darkness and the light are both alike to thee. Uh, a couple of days ago, Pastor and I uh, were out at lunch and we were comparing uh, phones. I have an Android and he has an iPhone. I almost said I fail, it's a, it's a habit. Um, and he has an iPhone. And so we were comparing different things and different features, and we, we got to the camera. And uh, we're at Panda Express over in Decatur, and I zoom in on the Chili's to-go sign. Uh, I mean, and it's crystal clear. What can I say? It's an Android. And he gets out his, and he says, what Chili's to-go sign? <laughs> not, maybe not quite, but, uh, but it, was pretty, it was pretty drastic, the change. And so uh, when I'm, uh, I'm getting somewhere, sorry, got sidetracked. Uh, but there was a time the kids, Olivia and Zane, were being so sweet on the couch one morning. It's uh, a rare event, so I got out my picture or my, my camera um, to take a picture of them. But it was early in the morning. It was dark in the house still, uh, but they felt the need to be up. And so I get the camera out, and I turn it to night mode. If any, if you've, any of you have had the, the night mode on there, and I take a picture of them, and it just it, it makes it bright as I'll get out. And I'm like, well, it's like it's daytime. Well, that's the idea here that, that even when we think we find ourselves, uh, or the, really the, almost the depression that, that King David is describing there, he says, Yea, the darkness, or sorry, verse 11, if I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, it literally means uh, to, to overtake or overwhelm me. If the darkness is going to come upon my life and I'm not going to see a way out, 
God, you do. You have the ability to look at the situation that I'm in and make it as if it's daytime because of how great and powerful and omnipresent God is. The physical limitations we have don't apply to God. All right, verse 3. The intimate creator, God. He says in verse 13, and and, and I'll read several verses uh, here. He says, For thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. Uh, The word possess there in verse 13 doesn't necessarily mean like to, to have as your possession, to obtain, but rather it means to create or to erect. And so he says, thou hast possessed my reins. And you have to understand that in the biblical time, they understood uh, or they thought they understood that the, the word reins, sorry, help if I clarify, I'm getting ahead of myself. The word reins also means uh, the innermost part. And really it meant the kidneys, the, the, the innermost part. That's what the, the body part that they thought uh, developed first. And so they thought that, hey, out of the kidneys come everything else. And so when he says, thou hast possessed my reins, he's saying, God, you are the one who created my very beginning that everything else comes out of. And so thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. He's literally saying at the very beginning of life, you were there and you were ever present and ever involved in that uh, happening, in that taking place. He says, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. Uh, And and the word there, again, also covered means intertwined, literally. And so from a figurative perspective or a standpoint, uh, it means to protect or to shut up inside. Um, You know, when we first found out that we were pregnant with Olivia, uh, what's the first thing every young couple does is they get out their phone and they they go to the what to expect. uh, And every little moment and every little stage of the pregnancy, down from the very tiniest uh, group of cells all the way through the nine months, it's a kumquat today. How big is a kumquat? I don't know. And so you just find these different stages, and it's so neat, and it's so amazing, uh, the development of a child. And so if I could real quick, as we look at verse 14, uh, David says, I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and marvelous are thy works, and that my soul knoweth right well. So when we found out that we were pregnant with Olivia, we did that very thing. You get out your phone, and you start looking at all the different stages of life, and So if I could real quick, I'm going to work through uh, very quickly just the nine months and what takes place and how amazing it truly is and all that is involved. Uh, The first month is just this, uh, early cell division and the formation of the embryonic discs. Uh, You have the skin, the mesoderm, the endoderm. The heart tubes form and begin to pulsate and force blood to circulate through the blood vessels. The second month. The embryo increases in size to about one and a half inches. Why can't they just say that? Why do we have to compare it to a fruit? I know what one and a half inches is. (laughs) Bones and muscles begin uh, to round out contours of the body. The face and neck develop and begin to give features of human appearance. Um, uh, Limb buds elongate and muscles and cartilage develop. The third month, buds for all the 20 temporary teeth are laid. Vocal cords appear. Digestive system shows activity. The fourth month. Uh, lower parts of the body show relatively accurate, uh, accelerated rate, sorry. So the head sizes decreases uh, and fingers and arms begin to, again, elongate. Fifth month, the skin structures begin to attain a final form. Sweat and other types of glands are formed. The skin uh, 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 starts to separate as well and hair and nails and finger toes, uh, sorry, fingers and toes uh, begin to form. And the baby is now one foot long and weighs about one pound. 
six months. The eyelids have been fused shut since the th uh, since the third month, but now they reopen. Uh, eyes are completely formed, and taste buds again begin to appear on the tongue. I mean, it's just such great detail that takes place. Seventh month, uh, the baby is capable of independent life from this time on. Uh, eighth and ninth month, during this time, finishing touches are put on uh, the various organs, and they function as they are intended, and then they get fat. That's really what it says. Fat is formed rapidly over the entire body. Uh, the baby gets big. It's, it's great. And the best part of all of this is it's designed perfectly by our Heavenly Father. You know, he says there in verse 15, My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Verse 16, Thine eyes did see my substance. Which means basically everything that, uh, if you were to take the ingredients of everything that it's going to take for a child to form, that's placed before God. And he says, thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect, unfinished, not complete, not whole yet. And in thy book all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. To say this, God, before I was even formed, you knew what I would be. You knew how I would be uh, developed. You knew uh, everything about us. Not one hair on our heads was out of place, uh, if you had hair as a baby. Um, but no wonder we should praise the Lord. Uh, without God's involvement from beginning to end, we'd be a mess. It'd be like a Picasso picture where the nose is facing this way, the eyes are facing this way, the forward is uh, three feet tall, and you think, well, that's art. No, look in the mirror. It's amazing what God has been able to do and God continues to do in the lives of each and every one of us. You know, people spend years searching for uh, uh, the ends of the earth for wonderful things to prove the existence of God. But all you have to do is look at a baby. Uh, it's neat. I've got, a, obviously, I have three kids, but I have a soft uh, spot for, for kids. I've always enjoyed uh, being able to hold kids. It, it's just a wonder. It's, it truly is a miracle. And God is involved in every uh, aspect of our lives. You know, God drew up the blueprints for our life. Again, there in verse uh, 16 and if you think about a house or, uh, that's being built, you think about the blueprints that are made, and nobody knows those blueprints better than the architect. And he can walk into a finished product and say, hey, that's out of place. Uh, or that's not right. Or this needs to be changed because he's the one who designed everything. And so from the moment we were conceived, God knows how we will grow and, and grow spiritually and physically from start to finish. Uh, and then verse 17 uh, and I'll hurry along here. He says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they are more in number than the sand. And when I awake, I am still with thee. Simply put, God thinks about us so much we can't even fathom. If you think about what he says there, they are more in number than the sand. If we were to, uh, to try to count all the times that God has been involved in our life and all the times that God has thought about our lives, we won't even be able to do it. Uh, in verse 17, when he says, How precious also are thy thoughts unto me, how great is the sum of them. And then, sorry, in verse 18, When I awake, I am so with thee. Uh, literally, it can take on two applications here, but literally it means when you are asleep and you wake up, God is still thinking about you. Even when you shut off your mind and you're no longer thinking about him, he is still thinking about you. And the moment you wake up, he's ready to be with you. He may have left our minds, but we never left his. Another way that this can be uh, applied is being awoken spiritually. There are times and seasons in our life when we fall away from our walk with the Lord, uh, and you, it, may, it may be days, it may be weeks, months, years, whatever it, it may be. The moment you turn and decide, I need to get right with the Lord, He's right there. 
Uh, he never left your side. Uh, it's often us that turn away from the Lord and we choose to, to consciously walk away from his word, walk away from his house, walk away from his presence. And it's almost like uh, the psalmist David said there in verse number 7. Where, where, whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? Where in, in my life am I going to find myself in a place that you're not there? But can I tell you, you can't. You will never find yourself in a place of life where God is not already there. Verse 4, and then we'll get to the chorus and we'll be done. Verse 4, the righteousness of God, found there in verse 19 through 22. Uh, in verse 19, it shows that God is no respecter of persons, whether you're born from a royal heritage or, or in the, the lowest parts of a large city. It does not matter your upbringing or your lifestyle. Your sins before Christ are just the same as mine. Our sins are all the same before God's. He says there, Surely thou wilt slay the wicked, O God. Depart from me, therefore, ye bloody men. For they speak against thee wickedly, and thine enemies take thy name in vain. Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee. And am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? You know, you're either aligned with God or you're not. You're, you're either walking with God or you're not. You either desire to have that relationship with God or you don't. And David here chooses to walk with God. And, and so naturally, if I'm going to walk with God, the result of that is going to be, be disgusted with sin. Uh, to, to hate sin. You've heard it said this way, you love the sinner, but you hate the sin. We should get out the sin in our life. We should despise the company of those who mock God and use his name with slander and disrespect. You know, do not be complacent with the foul use of our holy God's name. You know, one thing I found myself in when I was working in IT, uh, at an IT firm in downtown Dallas, um, I had a lot of coworkers who uh, used foul language all the time. And uh, so much so that it got to the point that I'm like, I have to do something about this because I just don't personally like hearing it over and over. But then especially it was tender when they would take our Lord's name in vain. Yeah. And it was just a commonplace. And if I'm being honest, one of them was even a Muslim and doesn't even believe in God, but is using his name in vain. And so I'm like, what can I do or how can I address this without you know, sounding arrogant or, or too confrontational? And so we're all in this open area, uh, little desk clumps in an open area. And I heard him use our Lord's name in vain. And I just said this, God has nothing to do with it. He didn't do anything wrong. Amen. And that was it. <laughs> like, how can you argue with that? And so the first time it caught him off guard. The next time they said it again. And I said, hey, God doesn't have anything to do with it. He's done nothing wrong. And by about the fourth or fifth time, they understood I'm not going to stop. And really what I'm saying, whether they want to admit it or not, was true. And so... I was, I was convicted in my own heart, in my own life, of, of just how complacent I get with hearing foul language used around. And so I would encourage you, um, as Pastor even mentioned this morning, if, if you hear it, don't be complacent. Um, with a right heart and a right motive and a right mind, um, confront that, uh, that sin. You know, and then verse 21 and 22, uh, there's a, a quote, and I apologize, I don't have the author here, but he says this. To love all men with benevolence is our duty, but to love any wicked man with complacency would be a crime. To hate a man for his own sake or for any evil done to us would be wrong, but to hate a man because he is the foe of all goodness and the enemy of all righteousness is nothing more nor less than an obligation. Again, you've heard it said, hate the sin, but love the sinner. Don't let your conscience be seared toward sin. But again, after having 
properly understood the previous characteristics of God and, and having had time to reflect on the relationship that God desires to have with us that ought to cause a boldness to confront sin. So the psalmist David, as he's writing here, and he goes through those first couple points about understanding the omniscience of God and understanding the omnipresence of God and understanding that God is intimately involved in every aspect of our life from birth until death. After understanding that, he says, God, I, I, I want to have that relationship with you. I want to be close to you, uh, but I cannot dwell in sin if I want those things. And so we ought not to have a lackadaisical attitude towards sin, but rather have the courage to call it out uh, in our own lives primarily. Uh, again, if you think about Pastor Sermon this morning and the, the uh, amendment that he made at the end, it's not uh, a, a, a sense of self-righteousness and I'm better than you or I can do this, but rather it's an inward reflection on our own heart and our own life towards the things of, of our own sin. And then with that understanding of God being perfect and holy and, and righteous in all aspects, uh, defending that uh, as David says there, he says, Do not I hate them, O Lord, that hate thee, and am not I grieved with those that rise up against thee? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them mine enemies. And if we're being honest, that's awfully hard to do as sinners ourselves. We, we basically cannot come to that point where we have righteous uh, indignation. And so here's the chorus. And really, uh, if you again think about it like a song, it can almost go verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. Uh, because he says this in verse 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. The chorus is simply just this self-examination. In these last two verse, verses, David makes a prayer to God and invites him to point out any sin uh, in his life. And most often we know our own sin, uh, and we can probably pretty easily confess our own faults and our own failures but rather, David understands that, Lord, after looking at this and after understanding that you do know the deepest parts of my life, uh, you've sifted through everything, you've blown away the, the outer layers, and you can see me for who I really am. God, would you reveal whatever wrongdoing there is in my life, whatever sin is in my life, and would you uh, allow me to get that right? God, would you convict me of that sin? We consciously submit to sin, and those sins are easy for us to identify on our own. But often there are sins, even unbeknownst to, to us. And David understands that. He's asking God not only to search his heart, but to try his mind, investigate the innermost parts of his being, and confront the sin that may be uh, hidden. Well, why is that? Why would David plea uh, to have God search for uh, the sin in his life? Well, it's because often as, as fallen sinners... God, or sorry, we can deceive our own selves into thinking we have a right standing with God. Uh, we convince ourselves or justify ourselves in our own sin uh, because we feel that uh, it's easy enough, or like we said earlier, that we can sweep it under the rug. But David is smart enough to know that even his flesh can't be trusted. Uh, Jeremiah 17, verses 9 through 10, talks about the heart being deceitfully wicked. Uh, who can know it? Because even we deceive our own selves. And then David goes beyond that. Uh, with this prayer. He has just admitted to God that he's aware of his omniscience. He's just relayed his faith uh, in the omnipresent God. He's just proclaimed that God is the intimate creator of all things, both past, present, and future, yet still ask God to search his heart again. Um, because all too often we can turn a blind eye to our own sin and not the sins uh, of others. 
So then the last part of verse 24, he says, God, would you help me to get things right? Uh, I just don't want to know about my sin, but I want to leave it behind. You know, as we've looked at this psalm tonight, if you're like me, you can't help uh, but begin to see the comfort that can be found in the words. Uh, again, in verses 1 through 7, uh, just knowing that God knows us. Verses 7 through 12, that He's always with us. Verses 13 through 18, that He desires to have an intimate relationship with each and every one of you here tonight. And then 19 through 22, that uh, a response to those facts about God should be an outward obligation to confront sin first in our own lives. Uh, you know, maybe there's someone here tonight that's struggling uh, with a sense of loneliness. You, know, you feel as if you're living life by yourself and no one else can understand what you're going through and how it makes you feel. Well, friend, I can tell you I probably don't know and I probably can't relate to everything that you're going through. But as we saw in verses 1 through 7, God knows. And not only does God know, but He cares. Amen. Maybe you're like me and you struggle with sharing your feelings or your burdens. Uh, you try to bear the weight yourself and, and that nobody else can see what's really going on because you've put on an outward facade that everything's okay. I, I can do it on my own. Uh, you keep everything bottled up inside and never pour it out to God. But in reality, the stress of work, uh, navigating as a parent the difference between good cop and bad cop and how much bad cop do I need and how much good cop do I need if you're trying to raise kids, uh, finding the right balance with that. Or wondering if you can truly break the routine, like we've talked about in the adult Sunday school class, about stewarding life and our time of uh, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work, eat, sleep, work. And it gets mundane uh, after time. You know, I don't have a quick fix for, for all the problems of life tonight, but I found a good start. God knows. Amen. Uh, God knows. Half the battle of life is sometimes just knowing that somebody else knows what you're going through. Just having a friend that's beside you that can say, hey, you know what, I'm here for you. Uh, I'm there for you in your time of need, and that can be God. You know, teenager, maybe you're here tonight and say, nobody gets what I'm going through. Uh, I can't talk to my parents. I, it's the last person I want to talk to is my parents sometimes. But no one understands like Jesus. No one cares for you like Jesus. And can I also tell you, your parents love you. <laughs> your parents want to know what's going on in your life. Your parents have your best in mind, and they want you to share the issues that you're facing with them. But no matter what you've done, no matter what you're going through, no matter how you feel about the, th about the things around you tonight, just know this, that God knows, God sees, and God cares. God can and wants to use you. Uh, the very creator, God knows you and has an, had an intimate role in your life, whether you acknowledge it or not. He thinks about you. He deserves uh, the highest place in our hearts. But understand this, if we want God to rule in our hearts and minds like he deserves, something likely needs to move. Something likely needs to get out in order to allow God to take its place. Uh, if I could go back to this earlier, how many prayers or sermons does it take for a sinner to get their heart right with God? Only one. But you have to want to change. Uh, the psalmist David, clearly in verse 23 and 24, saw everything that God was to him and says, God, I want to change. And he asked God to search him and try his heart again, that if there be any impurities, God would reveal it. And so if you would, if you stand with me as we have a time of invitation.